0: I am uh, taking a break this morning from Genesis, and uh, I'll be back on uh, track next week, but I thought it's probably time for just a little bit of a break and do something different this morning, and uh, so we're going to look at a passage in 1 Corinthians this morning, 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, I'm probably not going to share anything new, but sometimes there are some things that you and I need to hear quite often. And uh, there are some things that we should at least hear once a year, and I have no idea when you heard this last, but you haven't heard it from me. So um, I'm going to share with you this morning just some principles on lifestyle and some things to guide us in making lifestyle choices and decisions. And so uh, that's kind of my aim and my hope uh, this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 Verses uh, 23 through chapter 11 and verse 1. Paul says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another man's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as i follow the example of christ let's pray lord jesus this is your holy word i pray lord that you would help us lord to understand the background and the context with which it was written and i then pray lord that you would help us lord to take and receive what you have to say to us today and then help us lord to put it into practice Give us wisdom as we apply it to our lives. And we pray, Lord, that your spirit would just speak to us this morning through your holy word. Amen. The Corinthian church was a church that had a number of problems within it. It was a young church. It was a pretty much a a, um, Gentile church pagan culture that Paul had gone to had planted a church and there were and there were some Jews there but outside of that there hadn't been Christians there before that and so these new Christians are in a culture where there are all the, the there's all the idolatry and paganism and there's temples to different gods and all of that and so they have all of that background and then there are some Jews who tended to be in this culture, very, very legalistic. And so these Christians were surrounded by people who either said, you know, nothing is sin and you can do anything you want, or they were surrounded by people who said, everything is sin, don't do anything. <laughs> and they were trying to find that middle ground and that middle road, and they didn't know how to live. And so Paul writes this passage trying to help these These believers in Corinth understand how to live. And I want you to notice that what he doesn't do is just give give them a whole new bunch of rules. God is not interested in you living your life according to a bunch of rules. God is interested in you living your life in a relationship with him. And so God provided through the Apostle Paul some principles to guide their behavior because there are some things that are wrong for me to do that are not wrong for you just because of who I am. And there are some things that you cannot do faithfully as a Christian that I can do because they don't cause me any problem but they might for you and vice versa. And so if if God just gives us a bunch of rules, that doesn't always necessarily fit all of us to a T. But if he gives us some principles, then we have to think in the process. And we have to figure out, okay, what is right for me in my relationship with Jesus? So there are some things, and I want to mention one thing in particular that Paul is dealing with in the Corinthian culture that kind of makes this this scripture hard for us to understand in in the pagan religion of corinth they would have temples and they would go get meat and they would offer that meat to these idols obviously those idols couldn't eat because they were You know, wood and stone and ceramic and all that kind of stuff. They couldn't do anything with the meat. So after the meat had been offered to these idols, then it was taken back to the market and it was often sold. And so the question was, can people go to the market as a Christian and buy meat that has already been offered to an idol and eat it? And Paul says, maybe. <laughs> Depending on certain circumstances. He says, as a Christian, you ought to have plenty of freedom to eat that meat because that that meat is still God's creation and all of that. But he says, if by you choosing to eat that meat, you are leading somebody who's a new Christian who might be... T- tempted to think that if I eat meat that has been sacrificed to an idol then it must be okay to go and participate in idolatry and in temple worship of the idol then I don't want to you know he says you can't eat that meat then because you don't want to lead someone else astray who has just become a Christian and all of that so um, the issues the things Paul's dealing with are different than the things we deal with But the issue is the same. How do we live our life in a way that pleases God and does the most benefit for the people around us? So, before getting to those suggestions, I just want to say, make a couple of, um, before I get to those principles, there are six of them, I want to make a couple of suggestions. First of all, as a Christian, Live in as much scriptural freedom as you can possibly live in. Do not become a person who is so focused on rules and all of that that your life is just, you know, um, uncomfortable. Um, Don't go out looking for restrictions on how to live. But rather, live in as much scriptural freedom. And notice the word scriptural. Let the scripture define what you are free to do. Because a lot of us, you know, if we just went by our own feelings and our own appetites and all of that, we'd have a lot of freedoms that we shouldn't have. But allow the scripture to define your freedom and live in as much as you can. Um, in, In this case, Paul said the person who eats food was not supposed to worry about whether the food had been offered to an idol unless somebody else saw it and it would cause them spiritual harm and, and brought up a question. So, live in as much freedom as you can. Secondly, focus, as I've already said, on your relationship with God instead of rules. God doesn't want us tied up in knots all the time, wondering what we should and should not do. He wants us to stay focused on the relationship. And if you stay focused on your relationship with God, God's spirit will continue to speak to you and direct you. And he will convict you when you're going off into a dangerous path. And you can trust that that's part of the role of the Holy Spirit in your life if you're heading off into trouble and you genuinely have a good relationship with God, the Holy Spirit is going to prompt you and and warn you that you're heading somewhere where you should not head. God wants us to live in a relationship guided by His Spirit and by His Word rather than just a checklist of rules. And, and The reason I I say that, you can look and see what happened to a bunch of people who lived by rules instead of by relationship. They were called the Pharisees. They had 613 rules that they tried to live by. And who of us can do that? You can't even remember all of them. (laughs) And pretty soon, if you go that way, it just doesn't lead to a healthy life. So live your life focused on a relationship the third thing i want to say is avoid avoid trying to please people except for the sake of helping people find and embrace the lord jesus christ you can live your life trying to please people and it can wreck your life i i did that for a while as a pastor i was just trying to keep everybody happy and then you know there became this problem with integrity in my life because this person wanted me to do that. And so I did that. And there was another person in the that wanted me to do the exact opposite. So then the next day I was doing the exact opposite. And pretty soon nobody knew who their pastor was because I wasn't being consistent. There was no integrity in all of that. And I was just living my life trying to please people all the time. When you live your life just trying to please people... You're going to end up in a bunch of knots and it's not going to work. You need to focus your life on pleasing one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you stay focused on him and stay focused on his word and let his spirit lead you, your life will be so much less complicated. Fourthly, be willing to restrict your self beyond your own convictions god will give you some convictions that weren't meant for everyone else in the world i know that's really hard sometimes for us to understand that you know sometimes god gives me a conviction and it wasn't meant for you and i just really want everyone to have to live under the same rules i have to live by (laughs) aren't we all a little bit like that But God can give me some convictions for my life that are healthy for me that you don't need. And God can give you some convictions that are healthy for your life that I don't really need to have a healthy relationship with Jesus. So keep that in mind that there are some things that God says for all people. And then there are convictions where His Spirit leads us into what is best for us to maintain a healthy relationship with him. And then the last thing is this, and I'll get to the principles. Good thing I can't ever read that clock. The glare is always bad. Know your motives. Sometimes we avoid, sometimes we just provoke people just because it's kind of fun. And sometimes we intentionally displease people. And Paul says we have to be careful about that. We should avoid offending people. And quite frankly, all of us have been around the church long enough to know that sometimes we offend people just because we're stupid. Or we are incredibly selfish. And it has nothing to do at all with us being Christian. We offend people for things that have nothing at all to do with Christ. And Paul says, if you're going to offend someone, then we ought to offend them over real issues of truth. And not just because we don't like that person. And not just because we're being stupid. Or not just because we're being selfish. We, If we're going to offend someone, it needs to be because... We are that's the only thing we can do and be true to the Scripture and true to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the first principle that Paul brings us to, I'm actually going to use a verse from earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter six and verse 12. It said, where Paul says, "People say everything is permissible. I can do anything as a Christian. God has given me freedom. But Paul says, no. But not everything is beneficial. And so it is the principle of expediency. What is beneficial? Some things are not sin for us. But not everything is helpful to us. And so one of the first questions we need to ask as Christians is, will this behavior help me or will it hurt? Will it help me or will it hurt me? Again, there were many foods that, if you go to the Old Testament, that were prohibited. Jews could not eat. There was a whole list of foods they couldn't eat. As New Testament Christians, there's a lot of things. I like bacon. Couldn't eat that in the Old Testament. Okay? There's a lot of freedoms that we have that that Old Testament Jews... Um, did not have and Paul says but Paul says just because we're free to do something doesn't mean we should do it what is helpful a pound of bacon might be good but it's not helpful (laughs) two or three pieces is helpful (laughs) to get through the day (laughs) So, so that's the question, is how much is helpful to us? Hayden Pearson, in his book, A Treasury of Vermont Life, describes a time in his life when he was, 12 year, he was a 12-year-old boy and he was helping an old man build a section of rock wall on a slope of the Vermont Mountain. And he had dug a trench, wide and deep, three feet or more, so that the foundation stones would lie below the frost line. The wall was slowly being built and grew in height, and the old man seemed very particular about every single rock and chinking piece. But to the 12-year-old boy, it seemed like a lot of unnecessary and annoyingly unnecessary work. The idea of fussing over every stone and all the details that were going to be buried below the ground seemed just crazy to him. And so finally in disgust, the young young boy turned to the seasoned builder he says why are you doing all this extra work who's going to see it who's going to know that we did it just right when they can never see it and the old man looked at Hayden over the edge of his glasses and he says well I will boy and so will you you will know There are few things in our life that will help us later on in life and give us more confidence in life than a life of character and a track record of making right choices that are helpful to us. So one of the first things that we need to do when we consider whether we should do something or not is ask the question, will it help me? Is it going to be beneficial to me? Will it be beneficial to me physically? Will it be beneficial to me emotionally? Will it be beneficially, beneficial to me in my relationships? Will it be beneficial spiritually with God? Will it be beneficial mentally? So ask the question, is it, is it helpful? The second principle is this, and that is the principle of enslavement. And that, the question there is, will it control me? And again, from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes, people say everything is permissible for me. But Paul says, but I will not be mastered by anything. There are some things in our, our life That may not be sin, but can those things eventually control me so that I no longer have control over the actions of my own life? Will this lifestyle put itself in the driver's seat of my life, or will I be the one in the driver's seat of my life? Can I always maintain control over it? If I choose to do this in my life, can I stop? Can I control it? And as I say that, I'm reminded that we also need to be aware that so often we think we can control things that we really can't control very well. And so when it comes to lifestyle, one of the key questions in our life, will this enslave me? Will I become its slave where I can't say no to it? Because Paul makes very clear to us that Jesus is supposed to be the one who is in the driver's seat of our life. And it's always a problem. We always, you know as Christians, we wrestle with that because sometimes we just open up the door and bounce him out and we get in the driver's seat again. And God wants to be there. And every now and then we have to stop and open up the door and slide over and say, yeah, come on back in. But sometimes we do that and we don't realize it by allowing other things to get in the driver's seat and pretty soon they're controlling us. And if something else is controlling your life, then Jesus is not. So be very careful about adopting a lifestyle that will push Jesus out of the control of your life. The third principle is this, and that is the principle of example. Will it help other new Christians grow? Food, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, does not bring us near to God. But we are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you, who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. So Paul uses two two words here, the weak and the strong, and he's not using them in the same way that we use them he um we we tend to think in terms of weak as being bad and strong being good he's not making any statement there about one being better than the other at all he's just using them to describe people who are immature in their faith because of the time Uh, an apple in the spring of the year hanging on the tree is just immature but it's not any worse or better than the tree, the same apple hanging on the tree in September. Not not any better, it's just a matter of maturity. And so Paul uses the word weak to describe an immature Christian who's just come to faith and he describes someone other than that is the strong person who's been a Christian for a long time, maybe grew up in the church, has had a lot of biblical teaching and all of that. Good role models and all of that and so he he uses those two terms that way and and for the young person for the weak person for the person who is growing into their faith they need a lot of boundaries but the strong person is older and grown and they you know they've already got their self-established boundaries they know what they can do and what they can't do they don't need you know, something out there to stop them. When, when our kids were little, we, we lived on one of the most dangerous um, highways in North Dakota. And so we put up a fence. And we got this, we went out and got this non-climbable fence. And um, we put it up in the yard. And our oldest one, Kelby, is, is always very creative and intelligent. And so he went out, examined it and then gathered the three younger ones and said, come, I'll show you how to climb over this (laughs) this fence. And he he proceeded to teach them how to get over the unclimbable fence. But, But anyway, you know, when they were little, we needed a fence. They needed that protection from that highway. When they were older the fence came down they had self-described boundaries they knew what those were and they weren't going to go out and just run and play on the highway so um what paul is saying here is that you and i need to use our freedom as mature strong christians to help other Christians who may be yet immature and may need some boundaries that you and I do not need. God's concern is always for the newborn Christian, not necessarily for the old, not necessarily for uh, somebody who's just being legalistic and carnal. Uh, God is concerned about new people coming to faith and that we don't do anything to cause them or lead them into sin. Remember Jesus in Matthew 18, he says, but if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. You see God's interest in young people and God's interest in people who are just coming to the faith that we live our lives, we sacrifice some of our freedoms that we actually have sometimes to help someone else who needs a few boundaries that you and I don't need. So there is also this issue of individual and community convictions. A strong church will have some strong people in it, some mature people that have been Christians for a long time, and those people will provide some boundaries for the whole church they will provide some corporate convictions that flow from their experience and wisdom of the years and and we need to listen to that great wisdom and that experience that they've had over those years because that is what protects and guards the weak uh, in the church and so here's here's the question for each one of us especially when we've been a christian for a long time like I I'm getting old. And so when we've been a Christian for a long time, here's the question in regard to how I take my convictions and when do I apply them and help someone else with those convictions? I share my convictions. This is when I should share my convictions. I should share my convictions. When Jesus is the love of my life. Because when Jesus is the love of my life and I'm sharing my convictions, I'm sharing my convictions for the right reason. But if my convictions have become the love of my life, and rule-keeping has become the love of my life, I need to keep my mouth shut. Because that does not help anyone. It is toxic to new believers. So when you share your convictions, make sure that Jesus is the love of your life because you can share in great wealth with a great heart and help people grow in their faith. But again, make sure Jesus is the love of your life and not the convictions themselves. Here is the fourth one, the fourth principle, and that is the principle of edification. Will it help God's work in me? Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, people say everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. And then Paul writes in Philippians 1, 6, being confident of of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. There are some things that may not necessarily be sin. But will they help you and will they benefit others? Will they help others? Will it help God's work in your life? Sometimes we can't think individually just about ourselves. We have to think about the body of believers. We have to think about everyone else that we come into contact with. Those at work, those at church, those in our family. We have to think about all the people around us and are we edifying them are we building up the body of believers around us how are we witnessing to the people around us i was reminded um yesterday in devotions that we are destined for holiness god has destined us to become like him god has destined us to become like him on this earth we are to be made in the image of christ and so when when i'm choosing a lifestyle or trying to decide whether i can or cannot do something or should or should not do something there maybe be a better way to say that the question is will it move me and will it move others towards being what god wants for us Will it help someone else embrace Christ and become like him? The fifth principle is this, the principle of exaltation. Will it exalt and glorify God? Paul says, So whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes, so we make it our goal to please him. Whether we are at home in the body or away from it, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done in the body while in the body, whether good or bad. So the question there is the things that you and I choose to do, the question that we need to ask is, will it glorify god not just will it make me happy but will it glorify god will it exalt god in some way um, in in the lives of the people around us um will god be exalted will be he will he be lifted up because there's coming a day when everything that we do is going to be judged by him and so i ought to do the things that i do to honor and please and to exalt him and then the last principle that I want to share with you this morning is one that I've hinted at all the way along, but that is the principle of evangelism. Will my lifestyle, will the choices that I make today, help someone else embrace Christ? Or will it be a turnoff? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 do not cause anyone to stumble whether Jews, or Greeks, or the Church of God. Even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. So, some things are not sin. But will it help someone else embrace the Lord Jesus Christ? Christ came to seek and to save the lost. And that needs to be fleshed out in our lives, in the choices that we make, the things that we do, the things that we say. Um, Is God able to use us through the choices we make to help people who are lost get saved and find him? So here are the six principles that we find wrapped up, especially in 1 Corinthians As as Paul tries to help these Christians in Corinth figure out, how do they live? And again, notice that he did not give them a set of rules. He gave them principles. Because he wants you and I not just to be checking off rules. Well, I did that one, I did that one today, I did that one. He's wanting you and I to engage with him in a thought process about everything that we do And keep it simple. He doesn't want your life complicated all the time. He wants it to be one of peace and simplicity where you just look at at the choices that you make according to these principles. The principle of expediency, is it beneficial? Enslavement, will it control me? Example, will it help a new Christian? Edification, will it promote God's work? In those around me, exaltation, will it glorify God? And the last one is evangelism. Will it help other people embrace Jesus?